Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, so this is uh, part of a series we're doing. It's part three, although it's really part four because there was a, a talk a month or two ago that was the, uh, um, the introduction to this. But the last two weeks, and this is the third week, been exploring this very lofty word and notion of enlightenment. Just even hearing the word, notice what responses are stimulated inside of you. Like, ooh, kind of big, or yeah, let's go for it, or oh, not me, never be there. Let go of all of those ideas, all of those concepts. This is something, at least the the opening up to the truth is something, something that all of us can have access to, all of us. A couple of weeks ago, talked about the classical meditative path that's laid out in the suttas, the discourses of the Buddha, uh, and the commentaries on cultivating a mind that eventually opens up and awakens to this unconditioned reality. And different stages of enlightenment in the classical model that are um, are talked about and one goes through in this this particular paradigm. Um, last week talked about another approach to awakening or enlightenment within the Buddhist tradition, the um, experience of sudden awakening, not gradual, doing lots of retreats and going to, um, um, putting in your hours, logging in your hours on on the cushion, but a whole kind of immediacy of freedom that's spoken of in the Thai forest tradition, in the uh, Zen tradition where somebody has a satori experience, or in the Tibetan tradition, the Vajrayana tradition, of uh, cutting through the confusion just in a moment. And as I said, in the Buddhist time, many people had these sudden openings to awakening just upon hearing a discourse. And then also mentioned that even with that sudden penetration of the confusion, there is then a gradual cultivation of deepening that understanding. So it's not just a glimpse, but it's, it's a, a perspective that one can embody and, and live from more and more. So sudden awakening and then gradual cultivation. Tonight, as I said a moment ago, I want to look at this from non-Buddhist perspectives 
And there are a number of really uh, wonderful teachers and body of teachings that point to this freedom uh, that can um, be experienced from other modes than meditative or even uh, following the Buddha's teachings. Sometimes the, uh, they're put under the category of the Advaita tradition, non-dual tradition, traditions. Um, and there are um, some very popular um, teachers in recent times and very wonderful teachers over the course of the last um, century or so that have really um, touched people in a profound way and somehow transmitted that perspective. It's the same perspective, though, whether it's the gradual meditative or a Buddhist, Buddhist um, um, approach or non-Buddhist approach. They are all seeing the same thing, pointing to the same thing, and saying the same thing. That is, seeing through the illusion of a separate self, seeing who we really are beyond this identity that we usually take ourselves to be. In recent times, I'm sure you, many of you are familiar with some of the, the teachings of um, Eckhart Tolle, The Power of Now. Wonderful, really wonderful book and a wonderful teacher. Um, Adi Ashanti, who sometimes teaches at Spirit Rock and sometimes uh, teaches here in the East Bay. Um, Gangaji, uh, who was a, a wonderful teacher who lives up in Oregon and who was a student of another very special um, teacher who was a teacher of mine, Punjaji or Papaji, who passed away in uh, about, when was it? About 10, 15 years ago or so. Uh, Punjaji Nisargadat Maharaj who uh, wrote this extraordinary book, I Am That. Uh, Ramana Maharshi, who was Punjaji's teacher. Uh, Jean Klein, uh, Ramesh Balsakar, lots of different teachers saying there is a deeper truth and deeper reality than our normal waking consciousness, and it's available for all to see here and now. I thought I'd start by um, sharing a couple of examples of these teachers and how they woke up. And to, to really underscore the fact that it doesn't necessarily require a lot of sitting meditation and working really hard which might sound like encouraging news. Oh, okay, cool. Let me find out how they did it. Okay, so I want to share with you two of them. One that I have on my, on my phone here, because um, I didn't have time to print it out. This is uh, Ramana Maharshi, who was born in 1879, died in uh, 1950. 
uh, born in, uh, he was Indian, and um, at the age of um, 12, his father died suddenly, and uh, he was very curious and intrigued about death at that point. And it was a, you know, obviously a, a major blow and, and shift in his out external reality. And that curiosity of death came to a culmination four years later uh, in 1896. And this is his words talking about what happened to him. It was in 1896, about six weeks before I, I left my home for good, to go to Arunachala, where he spent the rest of his life, that this great change in my life took place. I was sitting alone in a room on the first floor of my uncle's house. I seldom had any sickness, and on that day there was nothing wrong with my health, but a sudden violent fear of death overtook me. There was nothing in my state of health to account for it, nor was there any urge in me to find out whether there was any account for the fear. I just felt I was going to die and began thinking what to do about it. It did not occur to me to consult a doctor or any elders or friends. I felt like I had to solve the problem myself then and there. The shock of the fear of death drove my mind inwards and I said to myself mentally, without actually framing the words, now death has come. What does it mean? What is it? What is it that is dying? This body dies, and at once I dramatize the occurrence of death. I lay with my limbs stretched out, still as though rigor mortis had set in, and imitated a corpse so as to give greater reality to the inquiry. I held my breath and kept my lips tightly closed so that no sound could escape and that neither the word I nor any word could be uttered. Well, then I said to myself, this body is dead. He thought he died. It will be carried stiff to the burning ground and there burn and reduce to ashes. But with the death of the body, am I dead? Is the body I? Is it, si it is silent and inert, but I feel the full force of my personality and even the voice of I within me apart from it, apart from the body. So I am the spirit transcending the body, the body dies, but the spirit transcending it cannot be touched by death. That means I am the deathless spirit. All this was not dull thought. It flashed through me vividly as living truths, which I perceived directly almost without thought process. I was something real, the only real thing about my present state, and all the conscious activity connected with the body was centered on that I. From that moment onwards, the I, or self, with a capital S, focused attention on itself by a powerful fascination. Fear of death vanished 
once and for all. The ego was lost in the flood of self-awareness. Absorption in the self continued unbroken from that time. Other thoughts might come and go like the various notes of music, but the I continued like the fundamental note, a note which underlies and blends with all other notes. Talking about the uh, fundamental note on the uh, uh, harmonium, the Shruti note. And that was the underlying reality. So he had this incredible fear of death. He thought he was dying, and then he said, what does it mean to die? This body goes, and I'm still around. Consciousness is still around. And he turned to what the eye was pointing to more deeply than the body. And somehow, not only did he see, did he get a glimpse of another reality, but in a very rare occurrence, he never came back to his normal waking consciousness that takes himself to be real for the rest of his life. He was an amazing being. You probably, probably many of you are familiar with the, uh, the pictures, the famous picture, you can't see probably from here, but of Ramana Maharshi beaming out. If you just Google Ramana Maharshi, you'll see this beatific presence. And just being in his presence, there was a transmission, as Punjaji found. So that was one example of awakening. Sounds like fun, huh? I wanted to share one more, and that's Eckhart Tolle's from Power of Now. How many people have read Power of Now? Okay, great. So you remember this. It's just, it's just so cool. Not so different. Um, Until my 30th year, I lived in a state of almost continuous anxiety interspersed with periods of suicidal depression. Sounds like a fun life. It feels now as if I'm talking about some past lifetime or somebody else's life. One night, not long after my 29th birthday, I woke up in the early hours with a feeling of absolute dread. I had woken up with such a feeling many times before but this time it was more intense than it had ever been. The silence of the night, the vague outlines of the furniture in the dark room, the distant noise of a passing train, everything felt so alien, so hostile, and so utterly meaningless that it created in me a deep loathing of the world. The most loathsome thing of all, however, was my own existence. What was the point in continuing to live with this burden of misery, Why carry on with this continuous struggle? I could feel that a deep longing for annihilation, for non-existence, was now becoming much stronger than the instinctive desire to continue to live. I cannot live with myself any longer. This was the thought that kept repeating itself in my mind. Then suddenly I became aware of what a peculiar thought It was. Am I one or two? If I cannot live with myself, then there must be two of me. The I and the self that I cannot live with. Maybe, I thought, 
Only one of them is real. I was so stunned by this strange realization that my mind stopped. I was fully conscious, but there were no more thoughts. Then I felt drawn into what seemed like a vortex of energy. It was a slow movement at first, and then accelerated. I was gripped by an intense fear, and my body started to shake. I heard the words, resist nothing as if spoken inside my chest. I could feel myself being sucked into a void. It felt as if the void was inside myself rather than outside. Suddenly, there was no more fear, and I let myself fall into that void. I have no recollection of what happened after that. I was awakened by the chirping of a bird outside the window. I'd never heard such a sound before. My eyes were still closed, and I saw the image of a precious diamond. Yes, if a diamond could make a sound, this is what it would be like. I opened my eyes. The first light of dawn was filtering through the curtains. Without any thought, I felt, I knew, that there is infinitely more light than we realize. That soft luminosity filtering through the curtains was love itself. Tears came into my eyes. I got up and walked around the room. I recognized the room, and yet I knew I had never truly seen it before. Everything was fresh and pristine, as if it had just come into existence. I picked up things, a pencil, an empty bottle, marveling at the beauty and aliveness of it all. That day, I walked around the city in utter amazement at the miracle of life on earth, as if I had just been born into this world. For the next five months, I lived in a state of uninterrupted deep peace and bliss. After that, it diminished somewhat in intensity, or perhaps it just seemed to because it became my natural state. I could still function in the world, although I realized that nothing I ever did could possibly add anything to what I already had. Then he talks about spending... Wait a second, where is it? that he spent the next two years. Where is it? He spent the next two years just kind of sorting out what had happened. And he sometimes lived on, on park benches and was you know just not functioning. Oh, yeah, I spent almost two years sitting on park benches in a state of the most intense joy. Which is kind of interesting because Ramana Maharshi, Maharshi, Ramana Maharshi, when he first went to Arunachala, he spent a few years very similar, not being able to even take care of himself. His nails grew really long, his hair grew really long. People came and said, who is that weird dude? Right? And he, but he emanated this energy, and then they started kind of taking care of him, and that was the start of his, his teaching. So that's a different way than meditating for a long time on retreat. Um, you can't plan it. Not necessarily you, who would want to sign up for it. If you knew what was on the other end, you might want to sign up for it. But on the front end, oh, facing your deepest fear... Now, I've said this and thought this many times. I see this with people all the time. 
sometimes, often in the spiritual journey, and if you are familiar with uh, Joseph Campbell's uh, The Hero's Journey, it's an absolute essential element of the journey to come to terms with your deepest fear. Sometimes, as in the case of Ecatolian Ramana, you come out the other end and not just have a profound understanding, but live continuously from that place. And supposedly, I know some people who've hung out with Eckhart Tolle and know, you know, not just when he's on stage, and he's supposed to be like that pretty much the whole time. That's, that's pretty amazing. But we can have these glimpses and they can transform us. And that's what I wanted to uh, talk about tonight. Different ways that that happens and maybe even get a, some sense, just a little taste maybe. What they both got in touch with is that they are not who they thought they are. And this is what I was thinking about in the Bible, you know, the, the words, be still and know that I am God, is very much the direct experience that they had. Somehow their fear heightened the intensity and broke through a whole other dimension of reality, and then they were just still and feeling the life force, which one could call God, or the unnameable, or the unconditioned, was available to them. Be still and know that I am God. It's not that God is out there, at least in this perspective. It's like, oh, who you are is not separate from what you conceive of God out there to be. This is very much like also in the Dzogchen. Uh, we read this, uh, or I shared with this a couple of times um, a couple of weeks ago, about completely stopping all doing and just resting and seeing what this mind that seems to create so many thoughts is. I just want to read, again, one little piece, and then we'll go on to these teachings. Mind, like empty space, has no concreteness. To see whether or not this is so, my fortunate children, look directly at your mind in the manner of not watching anything. Let go completely, and then you will know. It is certain without being just an empty and blank nothingness, the self-aware wisdom is surely primordially, primordially cognizant. This self-existing natural cognizance is like the sun. To see whether or not this is so, look directly at your mind and let go completely. Then you will know. So, at some point, whether you're meditating for a long time or doing some kind of other spiritual practice or have an experience like they had, you let go of your thinking mind and see what's behind or what's deeper than that, that mind. 
And here, I want to mention a little bit about the difference between effort and non-effort. In the effort of meditating, you train the awareness, sharpen the awareness, maybe even deepen the concentration. It takes some effort to get here, to train your mind to actually be in the present. If you've done any meditation, you know that's true. And even if you do a retreat, you know it takes about three days or more to, for there to be stretches of, of, of mindfulness and you're actually in the present. But once you're here, any kind of effort is extra. Any kind of effort to make more of the moment is extra. And then there comes the possibility when you completely stop all effort and just be still and know that I am God. This is moving from the doing mode to the being. Punjaji, my teacher, and uh, Gangaji's teacher, and, and actually a number of Vipassana uh, teachers' um, teacher, he would say meditation is good in that it, it wears out the mind until it finally gives up. Now, I don't want to discourage you in thinking there's, there's no point in meditating, because there is, because as you do, you are developing clarity, awareness, opening your heart, many, many fantastic benefits that come from meditation. But if you really want to be free, then you, you've got to let go of being the meditator who's meditating, and let go of the technique as being what's going to do it for you. Just like the Buddha said, you have to let go of the raft to get to the other shore, even the raft that got you there. To fully wake up in this moment, you stop all effort entirely. And, that, and Punjaji would say this all the time. He would say, stop all effort. Stop your trying. Just let go. No place to land, he'd say again. No place to stop trying to get anywhere. And I'd be saying, what do you mean? I've been trying, you know, I believe in this stuff. And then we had one conversation, I remember, where he said, well, how would you describe um, meditation? You know, what is Vipassana meditation? And I, and I, he, he had many Vipassana students who came to him. And he said, uh, and I said, well, it's usually translated as to see things clearly. And he said, ah, if you are see, if there is seeing, then there's somebody who is seeing clearly. And if there's someone who is seeing clearly, then there is a separation. There is someone who is doing. And as we talked, I said, well, actually, when pointing that out, really, when there's that immediate connection, it's not so much that one is seeing clearly as much as one is being clearly. There is simply the being, and there's an awareness that knows. But it's not like, oh, I'm, I'm seeing what's going on. There's no eye around to see. So this requires a, a complete letting go 
of any kind of trying and just opening up with wonder and interest. Here's a little bit I'll read from Punjaji. What should I do? One student asked him. Let me tell you what my teacher told me. That's Ramana Maharshi. Just be quiet. This quiet does not involve talking or not talking. It does not involve any doing whatsoever. Just let the mind fall into silence. This is enough. Who has created separation? Mind has created separation. And no mind will remove this separation. The separation doesn't exist. Even to say, I am separate, is a joke. And finally, read one more thing. It is awareness, total awareness of being, the same thing, no difference. Total awareness is the same thing as enlightenment and self-realization. Everything is there, and you are that awareness. This is the natural state that Ramana uh, Maharshi would talk. Sometimes it's his name, some people pronounce his name uh, Ramana. I say Ramana Maharshi. And he, he talks about this in terms of self with the capital S. This can get confusing also. There you are studying about no self in Buddhism, no self, no self, no self, and then you see a great enlightened master talk about self is where it's at. But it's self with a capital S, not the small s, which is beyond this small sense of self. And uh, this is him talking. The reality which is the mere consciousness that remains when ignorance is destroyed along with knowledge of objects alone is self. You are awareness. Awareness is another name for you. The self, capital S, is ever-present. Each one wants to know the self. What kind of help does one require to know oneself? People want to see the self as something new, but it is eternal and remains the same all along. They desire to see it as a blazing light. How can it be so? It is not it is not light, not darkness. It is only as it is. It cannot be defined. The best definition is, I am that I am. I am that I am is also, my understanding, the translation of Yahweh, the word God. I am that I am. Same thing. Only rather than seeing it as outside of ourselves, we get in touch with that godness inside of us. And uh, Ramana Maharshi, his main transmission was simply being around him in his silence, in the silence. That in the silence, when you're around somebody tuned into that frequency, and perhaps you've been around some great masters and you maybe get a sense of this, when you are around someone like he, he was, 
who's tuned into that frequency all the time. It's like they're sending out these radio waves that kind of tune you into a frequency that you see, oh, this is who I am as well. So that was his main transmission. He said, those who can get it that way get the direct experience. But he also had a number of different practices for those who couldn't get the direct experience that way. And one of his main practices, which Adi Ashanti uses as well, is um, what he called self-inquiry, where rather than just being with the stillness, you take a look at what goes on in your mind that's creating this sense of you. And you see beyond the mind. What you start with is seeing that your mind is filled with thoughts, right? And most of those thoughts are about, guess what? You. Me. I. I'm thinking, what shall I do now? What, and in relation, what do they think of me? Or how can I be successful? How can I be loved? He says, if you really look at your mind, all thoughts, there's an, an implicit self-referencing in them. They're about me, myself, and I. As the Buddha also said, to cut through cut through the eye-making and the mind-making. And he says, take a look at what he calls that I-thought. And if you take a look and hold on to that I-thought and see where did that I-thought come from, where's the source of those thoughts? And I think at this, I'll, I'll just read a little bit about the practice from this fabulous book. I love this book uh, called Be As You Are, The Teachings of Sri Ramana Maharshi by David Godman. Go- yeah, Godman. By the way, this is a very a special book because I, I had Punjaji, I'll just a little aside, sign it, and I remember this, this exchange kind of shows you where where he's at, you know, I was, at some point, he just blew my mind, and I was just so grateful, and, uh, and I said, oh, Punjaji, please sign my book, sign my book, and he kind of, no, 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 I said, oh, come on, sign my book, and uh, he said, okay, and then he writes, dear James, don't cling to the finger that points to emptiness, H.W.L. Punjaji, yeah, and say, oh, I want this, and he says, you know, just a finger pointing to emptiness. Don't cling to that. You know. But this is the practice of self-inquiry. The practice of self-attention or self-inquiry or awareness of the I-thought is a gentle technique which bypasses the usual repressive methods of controlling the mind. It is not an exercise in concentration, nor does it aim at suppressing thoughts. It merely invokes awareness of the source 
from which the mind springs. The method and goal of self-inquiry is to abide in the source of the mind and to be aware of what one really is by withdrawing attention and interest from what one is not. In the early stages, effort in the form of transferring attention from the thoughts to the thinker is essential. But once awareness of the I feeling has been firmly established, further effort is counterproductive. When you say the I feeling, it's like beyond the thought of me to what is I anyway? And from then on, it's more a process of being than doing, of effortless being rather than an effort to be. So let's just kind of play around with this for a moment. Okay. So just close your eyes. And uh, just look at the mind and notice all the thoughts. Gosh, I don't know if I'm getting this, or hey, this is kind of cool, or I think this is interesting. Just notice all those thoughts. And if you happen to notice any that you sense have to do with how you're doing, are you getting it or not, or about me, just hold on to grab any one of those thoughts and see where do they come from? Beyond the formation of that thought, where does it come from? Springing up all on its own. You don't decide to make that thought happen. It just bubbles up on its own. Trace it back to the source of those thoughts. And if you even just get a glimpse of that fountain of aliveness out of which the thoughts spring, just Hang out there for a moment. That place that simply I am, not I am this or I'm that. The I amness, feeling life and consciousness expressing through you. So this is one practice to just trace the I thought back to its source. A common question that Ramana Maharshi would suggest is asking, who am I? Who, have you ever asked that? Who am I? Adi Ashanti says he likes what am I uh, better because who, you're still looking for an identity. 
but what am I? Or sometimes in Zen they say, what is this? Just for a moment, just ask yourself. Again, you can close your eyes. Ask yourself, who am I or what am I? Where does this thought come from is another way that he would suggest, Ramana would say. And then within it, he would also then have you go through in this as a, a practice, something called neti neti, not this, not that, the, the way of subtraction. So just for a moment, look at the mind and notice the thoughts coming and going again. And just ask yourself, are you those thoughts? They're just coming and going. What is noticing those thoughts? What is it that's noticing them? Now for a moment, look at the feelings. Maybe you've got a particular mood right now. Maybe curious or confused or interested or bored or whatever. Look at the mood, or all the feelings that you've had today coming and going, are they you? Can you point to any one of them and say, oh, that's me? What knows those feelings? What is it that knows those feelings? For a moment, look at the body. All the sensations coming and going. Are they you? Can you point to any one of them and say, oh, that's me? What knows those sensations? What is it that knows those sensations? Even your personality. Which can change depending upon the day, what comes out. Can you say that's you? What is it that knows your personality? When you look and you see, oh, I'm not those thoughts. I, what I call I, is not those feelings or not even those sensations, not even this body. Then what's left is awareness. That's what remains. But you can't even say, I am awareness. There's no I at all in, in the sense of an entity to whom it's happening. It's just awareness. 
Awareness just is. Stay with the awareness. That knowing that happens whether you try to turn it on or turn it off, it just happens on its own. Now you have to relax into it. You can't think your way through. Just be the awareness for a few moments. I want to share with you one more thing. And this is from Adi Ashanti as far as what he calls true meditation. If you want a little different kind of instruction as to meditation, this is the uh, one-page handout that sometimes he'll, he uh, has given out on retreats. And basically, the instruction is... Mm. no manipulation. And here's his explication of that. True meditation has no direction, goals, or methods. All methods aim at achieving a certain state of mind. All states are limited, impermanent, and conditioned. Fascination with states leads only to bondage and dependency. True meditation is abidance as primordial consciousness, just being the awareness. True meditation appears in consciousness spontaneously when awareness is not fixated on objects of perception. When you first start to meditate, you notice that awareness is always focused on some object, on thoughts, bodily sensations, emotions, memories, sounds, This is because the mind is conditioned to focus and contract upon objects. Then the mind compulsively interprets what it is aware of, the object, in a mechanical and distorted way. It begins to draw conclusions and make assumptions according to past conditioning. In true meditation, all objects are left to their natural functioning. This means that no effort should be made to manipulate or suppress any object of awareness. In true meditation, the emphasis is on being awareness, not on being aware of objects, but on resting as primordial awareness itself. Primordial awareness or consciousness is the source in which all objects arise and subside, As you gently relax into awareness, into listening, the mind's compulsive contraction around objects will fade. Silence of being will come more clearly into consciousness as a welcoming to rest and abide, an attitude of open receptivity, free of any goal or anticipation, will facilitate the presence of silence and stillness 
to be, re- to be revealed as your natural condition. So when you're meditating, you might just play around with this. If you're familiar with, if you're used to a particular meditation technique that's focusing on, say, the breath or on objects or sounds, just from time to time, try this. No manipulation. That is, don't try to focus on anything. Don't try to make anything happen. And simply relax into the awareness that's knowing it. Let's do it for a moment right now. I'll just say those two words and see if you can let go of any trying. No manipulation. Rest in natural great peace. No effort. Just let yourself be or let being be known. If you notice thoughts springing up, no problem. Just let them liberate themselves. You don't need to do anything about them. Be the space of awareness in which they just arise and pass away. This is the underlying reality. You don't have to create it. And you can't even get rid of it. It's who you are. This is your true nature.
All it takes is relaxing, letting go of any effort, and simply allowing presence to know. True nature can never leave you. And from this place of quiet and stillness, we'll just dedicate merit from the evening since it's time to go. May. May this awareness be known. May we wake up to the truth of who we really are. May we share the love and wisdom that wants to shine through with all beings. And may all find happiness and peace. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. Sorry we don't have time for discussion. Maybe next week we'll uh, open up to discussion. Have a great week and see you next week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.